listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Inquisitive, sophisticated, humorous. Teksu Kim writes music inspired by everyday experiences, music about modern South Korea, reflecting its multicultural nature, and music that is humorous yet sophisticated. His music has been performed by Ensemble Intercontemporain, Ensemble Moderne, Alarm Will Sound, Minnesota Orchestra, National Orchestra of Korea, Seoul Philharmonic Orchestra, and many others. His arrangements have also been featured on numerous albums with labels including DECA and DG. Teksu teaches at Syracuse University as an assistant teaching professor and served as the composer-in-residence of the Korean Symphony Orchestra from 2014 to 2018. Let's start off with your piece, uh, Sudoku Divertimento. Sure. And uh, this piece is for an ensemble. And kind of tell us the story of how this piece came to be. You know, how, what made you write this piece? Oh, it was basically required because I wrote that piece for my doctoral exam. So okay. the exam entails writing a piece in a week and oh there were a couple more requirements like the piece should have multiple movements and those movements should have different characteristics mm-hmm. and for example different tempi and different textures different styles and by the way i love sudoku to begin with so, yep. and music has somehow similarity or the competition process has similarity to Sudoku because sometimes we look for what's missing in our music and try to complement. Mm-hmm. And the specific instruction I got for the test reminded me of Sudoku again. Because I, if I have one type of style, I can't use it anymore. Right. So um, to make it a little more fun, I thought I was envisioning without having any musical idea. I was thinking more about at the end, the previous movements get along together, basically, mm-hmm. and then um, complete the puzzle. So you, I mean, in that way, you kind of have to see, you, you're you constantly focusing on the the task at hand, but you have to have the entire picture in, like in mind at all times. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. And that was ambitious, I guess, but because I had only one week, but luckily it was, I had a one full week without doing almost anything else. So I was really focused. (laughs) And right. And you know, when you are in such an extreme situation, you could find superpower in you sometimes. Yes. I think some people kind of meet that challenge head on and, and kind of like rise to it. I've personally, I've had really mixed results with, with speed, like speed writing, basically, you know, um, I guess that when I have a really well-formed concept, I do like already already fleshed out and I know like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. 
and I have this amount of time to do it in, I do really well. But if the coming up with that concept is part of the the time I have, which it seems like it was for you. Yeah. You know, you have a week, just write a piece. Um, in that, in those particular situations where I've done speed writing before, I just fall flat on my face. So I was, I was kind of wondering, how did you kind of approach that challenge of needing to write so much material, needing it to be so different from each other and doing it in a week? <laughs> like, what was your, what was your strategy, I guess? Honestly, I don't remember that much. <laughs> I'm sure it was kind of a blur. Yeah. Right. But what I remember is that I had been working as an arranger for a long time. So dealing with different style or, and I did a lot of stylistic composition studies as mm-hmm. part of my study. So I was, those styles at least were in my hands. So it, they were ready to go, I think. And because it was also doctoral test, doctor exam, I thought it should be a little educational. So mm-hmm. picking up, cho- uh, choosing the three different styles or genres was the easiest part, actually. So, yeah. um, well, because I wanted to do something with minimal music because just it's a good technique you have to master not master i i don't think i would master ever but uh, at least you have to feel comfortable with just uh, doing similar thing with right so so kind of tell us about each movement You, you you touched on the first one the first one is kind of a repetitive minimalistic kind of texture yes and then what what kind of happens in the second movement the second movement is more spontaneous more jazzy i was envisioning something like a salon music of um 1940s Mm -hmm. so yeah it's very spontaneous the sound i was looking for was kind of new orleans ish like a little muddy and then everyone does different things freely but it just somehow makes sense so in that movement it was easy to decide i'm not going to use any motive for example mm-hmm. yeah but just chords. it's all kind of all kind of like florid composition yes yeah okay. so that freed uh, that freed me up a little bit too and the third movement the missing thing there in terms of contemporary music element was more avant-garde, experimental. So I intentionally chose some very dry, German-esque, I, I'm i not sure what it would mean, but right. very dry noise, noises I used in, uh, I, I, I chose to use in third movement and suddenly it just become um, some random ritual-ish music in the third movement. And the fourth movement, was where every movements com- are combined together to build another element, and because it's a fourth yeah. movement, and the the fourth movement kind of has this kind of scherzo or rondo feel to it, you Correct. know, with the the new the new element in the fourth movement, and then kind of piecing together the other movements as like the B or C or D sections of the rondo, right? Um, 
was the was the instrumentation chosen for you or was that your own instrumentation because it's uh, flute clarinet horn trumpet violin and double bass yes the instruction was i can choose one or two woodwind instrument and one or two brass and one or two strings so okay. um it was ba- it, i wrote it in the summer semester so it was based on who were around Okay. So that it can be performed at the end of the summer semester. Sure, yeah. I when I first saw it, I was I was almost thinking that it ha- it was qu- kind of a quasi, you know, Stravinsky Listoire. You know, kind of. You you don't have the percussion, obviously. You don't have the narrator, but the violin and double bass is obviously like the you know a main sound of that. And, right, and then having the brass featured so prominently as you do in your piece. I mean, uh, the brass writing. Um, is I thought it was really impressive because it you and maybe this is just a downfall of myself. Whenever I have brass in, in chamber music settings, and I don't usually have brass in chamber music settings, I kind of like it. it, it I always find it's really tricky to write for them because you know you have uh, range concerns and then technique concerns and also balance concerns. So I thought the the writing for the horn and trumpet in this piece was really nice. Oh, thank you. Well. I'm not a brass player at all, so brass would be also my weakest area. That's how I feel when I mm-hmm. write music. And so, yeah, I'm just glad to hear it. I didn't really expect <laughs> that my brass writing is even okay. I didn't even think about it. Again, you know, I was just too busy focusing right. on yeah, doing the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about how you were an arranger and you had done some stylistic studies. I mean, I think this piece kind of relies on a postmodern understanding of music as well as a postmodern listener. I mean, is is this how you engage with music? Are you are you kind of looking at uh looking at history not as a timeline but rather as a cloud to kind of pull from different sources? Well, as a student or as a musician or as a serious musician, I think I should be aware of the history. And then I studied, I did my best to understand and then memorize mm-hmm. all the history. But when I was growing in South Korea, growing up in South Korea, every kind of music was mixed anyways. Like mm, like okay. everyone else, I'm sure it's pretty similar um, in other countries, some other countries too, but I was exposed to classical music. At the same time, lots of different pop music and some Korean folk music. So I grew up with mixed culture already. So yeah, I became interested in how they are laid in terms of history, but, you know, we, are, we live in... The, time that we can just every second we can choose or we we can randomly listen to different style of music so Mm -hmm. i could sometimes try to fight against that idea so so that because you know sometimes audience should be immersed to a good world of music but sometimes i should just embrace that we live in such a add world right yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've always thought that I, I mean, I've had this idea kind of knocking around in my head, and it's not an original idea whatsoever. But you know, we we live actually not. You know, when I I think when I had this idea, people were watching more TV than I think they are now. Like mostly now, everything's streaming. So or you know. W- like there's that rule for YouTube that if you want a successful video, it has to be under a certain time limit. And that time limit gets like shorter and shorter and shorter. So we're we're like carving up our lives into these like little two and three minute chunks. And uh, I always thought it'd be it would be cool to do a piece like that is um, that is f- the structure of it, the form of it follows a traditional um you know, like sitcom or whatever. You have your first act that's like seven minutes long and then you have like some completely random, you know, uh, what, a minute and a half, two minutes of commercials like that have nothing to do with it. And like, it, I think it'd be kind of interesting to to form, formulate a piece like that just because like you say, we live in this like really fractured um, time where our perception of time is carved mm-hmm. into in, into you know <laughs> shorter and shorter chunks. So we do live in an ADD world. That's yeah. Right. Also, you know, I grew up. The best part, or my favorite part of any TV shows when I was young, was commercials. Mm-hmm. Right. Only you should grab the audience's attention in within like half a minute. In that case. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, also, I, well, I learned English through sitcoms. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, because what, what they are shorter. What sitcoms did you watch? They, um, it's true. Yeah. yeah, Will and Grace, The Office was a little more advanced, <laughs> but yes, The Office and 30 Rock, all those things. Yeah. I mean, you had some great teachers right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think I was getting from your notes about this piece that while each movement is distinct, um, in its tempo and style and general atmosphere, was there anything that kind of you could trace a thread throughout all the movements that connected them? Was there some kind of underlying feature that you could point to to say, oh, well, you know, I did this in the first movement, but it also shows up in the third movement or something? Yeah, sure. Like, in a vertical relationship, <laughs> I that it, it's an open question. I, I didn't know if there was something that kind of connected all of them together, other than the fact that the fourth movement kind of brings back all the themes. Right. Um, so in first movement, for example, it's based on a polychord. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I use some technical terms here? Of course, yeah. <laughs> Polychords of it's just a, basically. C sharp major over D sharp. Uh, no, okay. D major. So Sorry, C sharp major over D major chord. So Okay. Yeah. And then I stretched it with, by um, topping with other major chords on top of the C sharp, C sharp. Major sevens above C sharp, so C major. And then on top of the C, there is a B. So yada, 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 yada. So in that... Mm-hmm. And at some point, at the end of uh, the building, there is some argument. Wow, this is really difficult to explain without <laughs> showing the score. So there is um, 
as a contrasting element with respect to the tonal center, the beginning is in F sharp minor, and the contrasting moment is in kind of G major or mm -hmm. G augmented whole tone-ish, which is the very beginning chord of uh, fourth movement. Okay. Yeah. And the first and second movements are tied in with the F sharp ma minor and major keys mm -hmm. they have. And in the third movement, so in the second half of the third movement, I have some <clears throat> recurring, very repetitive melody. And those notes are the complementing notes from uh, the, the very first chord, D, sharp, D plus C sharp major. Okay. Was that... <laughs> No, no, no. This, this is great. Um, the third movement, it you know, when you got to that kind of chant uh -huh. section, uh -huh. um, it really seemed like you were. W was it was it a rhythmic connection with the first movement? Because it seemed like that part and the first movement were very connected. They are in two different ways. So, in the first movement, almost at the end, there is also like a mellow chant-like section, which begins mm -hmm. with. G and C per open fifth. So that comes back in the third movement because the idea was the same because I wanted to use notes that were not from the very repeat, repeated notes, repeated right, chords. Yeah. So that there is that also. So basically the entire movement um, or entire piece is based on rhythmic ostinato. So in the beginning, ta 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 ta. That's like a five beat ostinato, but the chant is basically ta 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 ta. Right? Ta 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 ta. No, oh my god! So it's just an augmentation of the same. Right. Uh, that, yeah. Album. Okay. That's that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's way more difficult than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, who are we going to hear on the recording? So it was performed by the member of ICE International Contemporary Ensemble, and that was awesome. at uh, composers conference in Wellesley back then. Awesome. So let's listen to it now. This is Sudoku Divertimento.
Cool. So let's move on to your solo piano piece that we're going to listen to uh, just just the second movement of. And this piece is called Coco Un Poco Loco. So what does that title mean? <laughs> um, well, to begin with, the piece was composed before the animation. Okay. So, yeah, I just didn't. It was not inspired by the, the movie at all, but uh, the Coco spelled as co dot ko dot means contemporary korea which mm-hmm. is basically where i'm from and that's also what my interest is with writing my music and un poco loco is spanish of course just so mm-hmm. because contemporary korea to korea to me is somehow crazy okay <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> So how did uh, how did this piece come about? Did you did you write it for someone, or what was what were the ideas that kind of uh, got you into writing this piece? So it was basically commissioned by a Korean pianist who ended up not premiering this piece because um, her management did not want to include any contemporary music. Yeah, for her okay. recital. So, well, I mean, sometimes it could happen. And yeah. it was an important recital for her. And she didn't really have the power over the decision. So sure, I totally yeah. understand. But, well, anyway, I 
composed a piece. So, and yeah, that's how I composed a piece. <laughs> the three movements are again uh, kind of very different um, in. Uh, very contrasting. So we're only going to hear the second one. So can you can you kind of tell us about the what this movement is about, and then maybe we can also talk about the ones we won't hear. So if people like this, they can go to your website or or somewhere and find the other movements. Sure. The second movement is titled uh, "Emperor of Ballad." <coughs> so it's. So it incorporates some typical cliche of Korean piano ballad. So uh -huh. a lot of Korean kids go to piano lessons, almost everyone, basically. And because the teachers one wanted the students play something they might like. And those are, there are some markets and then the market in the market is saturated by a couple of composers who write similar type of music uh -huh. ballad basically slow because it's uh, slow kind of emotional i mean basically salon music but right there is a slight nuance that korean ballad music has in terms of how the accompaniment is always similar and certain type of diatonicism they like and certain inversions they like. Uh -huh. So yeah, I incorporated those things in that movement and basically made made fun of it. Uh -huh. by yeah, and the, the kind of the, you, you incorporate those elements and then there's some pretty harsh, jarring sounds on top of it. I don't know why I did it, I just thought it might be fun. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's just a mismatch, basically. And sometimes a mismatch is fun. And so I did it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, from from this piece and the previous piece, I mean, it's, it's I think it's pretty fair to say that you like to engage with, pr like, a lot of different stylistic ideas and then turn them on their head in a modernistic way. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's actually a very good description of what I'm doing. Maybe not always conscious. Uh huh. Also, you know, I studied chemistry, so everything is just muddy in my head anyways. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, it seems it seems like, especially with this piece, this is kind of you know one of your adjectives was uh, hu humorous. So this is it seems like this is your kind of like playful or humorous side coming out. Yeah, I think I hope so. I mean, music is serious, and I'm a very serious composer in with respect to um, techniques. Well, if mm -hmm. it, I want to be perfect with respect to counterpoint or instrumentation, but it doesn't mean that my audience should agonize while listening to my music. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it definitely seems like, you know, you, you are serious about the craft of composition, but at the end of the day, that composition, it can still be funny. I mean, I think that's actually the mark of, of, you know, if you, if you look at like really 
really serious, you know, comedy writers or uh, stand-up comedians. Like they take it very seriously. It just happens to be really freaking funny. And that that uh, kind of methodology of tweaking and say, well, it it's kind of working, but it's not. Like I got to find the, like I really have to nail down on what it is that is going to make this work. You know, it, it honestly, it, at the end of the day, it should seem, it should seem to the audience to be just effortless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Again, you know, I'm a big fan of sitcom and Mm -hmm. so yeah, I highly admire all those comedians as artists Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I mean, and I think that's also that resonates with my personality a little bit. So yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. What are the two? Uh, what are the outer? There are three movements. So what's the first movement like, and what's the last one like? So the first movement is basically less modern in terms of the topic. So it's basically about. Well, I was experimenting with. Sanjo. Sanjo is a Korean folk music tradition that I am fascinated these days. And uh, so I was basically experimented with the Sanjo tradition. And the idea I got was to introduce the music with a little earlier folk musical South Korea. Like uh-huh. uh, Sanjo was basically introduced in late 19th century. So it's pretty modern right, in a yeah. way. Yeah. So in terms of like traditional music, yeah, that's, that is pretty modern. Yeah. It's not like a 2000 years ago or anything like that. Right. So, yeah. but it's interesting to, well, to me, it's interesting to track back how all the folk music or where all those folk music came. Mm-hmm. So, and there must be some links between the old folk music and what's going on currently. That's my belief, and then that's my like a research interest per se. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I don't think I succeeded in this piece to make it more convincing, to be really honest. But I tried to begin with beginning with something a little more, mo- a little less modern but more traditional Korean to um, progressing into some more pop Korean music of current. But and that's the, that's the third movement is kind of inspired by K-pop, right? Right. Both second and third movements are inspired by K-pop. Mm-hmm. The second movement is a little older because it's more inspired by 1980s or so, but the third movement reflects a little more current k-pop like it was people before bts right yeah yeah so i didn't know that that was going to be such a big hit (laughs) but um well still you know bts exists uh thanks to all its predecessors so i'm basically imitating the predecessors style in the third movement cool so, uh, well, let's listen to the, the second movement. And you said it, that one was titled uh, Emperor of Ballads. Mm-hmm. Is that the title? Yes. Okay. And who, who's, gonna, who's the pianist we're going to hear on this? 
Uh, the pianist here is Blair McMillan. Cool. So this is Coco Un Poco Loco. So let's move on to your uh, the final piece we're going to listen to, and uh, this piece is called Lotus Voice. And in reading your notes about this, the this piece is for vocalist and an ensemble, and was inspired by Korean uh, pansori. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about this art form? Pansori, um, pansori is an epic saga, basically from 17th century. Oh, it depends. Some people say 17th and some people say 18th. So around then it emerged, I think. And there were a lot of different stories, but now there are only five stories left. Uh And mostly they're pretty long. The shortest one is 40 minutes. The longest one gets like six hours. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty long. Yeah. And that's Lord of the Rings style long. <laughs> right. Well, it's an epic. So they're yeah. epic. So, right. Also, there are only two performers. It's usually performed outside because that was 
the concert hall when the tradition began anyways. And it began as more, more or less as a satire to uh, the loyal family, royal families or some more courtesans. So it was more for um, lower class people uh-huh. when it began. And but it became eventually very high art later. But so it makes sense that it takes place outside outdoors, uh-huh. and only one singer with one accompanist who is a percussion or just drum player. It's just one barrel drum. So um, that's it. And so it heavily relies on the singer, basically. And another thing about Pansori is so there were lots of virtuosic Pansori singers who were regarded very highly as artists back then and even now and it requires a specific vocal quality Mm -hmm. to be regarded even more highly so basically they have to hurt their voice Right. Yeah. The I in in your score you included a YouTube link of uh you know kind of where to go to to listen to some some of these Pensori singers and it's kind of gravelly. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. their voice is really rough. It's it actually kind of reminds me of um maybe some uh like th- throat. It's not throat singing, but it has that kind of quality where the timbre of the voice is like it's very spect it's spectrally really rich, you know. And um, but they're unlike throat singing, which is basically you know droning and controlling overtones. They're like going all over the place. So, is is this a? I mean, it seems like this kind of has to be a somewhat uh. Imp- improvised tradition in terms of how they inflect their voice or is there anything actually written down to say when you're saying when you're singing these words you should go for this kind of contour or is it or is it up to the the singer mostly up to the singer it's all it's verbally just a trans, uh, transmitted basically mm-hmm. so yeah until the middle of 20th century there was no written score for okay. any of those. Maybe some story, right. because the stories are based on old novels, old stories, but mm-hmm. there was no score. But also at the same time, they have the stylized singing. So Pansori is comprised of two different parts. The first is narration, and the second is singing. Mm-hmm. The narration is rhythmicized in with particular rhythmic patterns, which are very common in Korean music anyways. So I'm sure a lot of the singers embodied or have to embody anyways the patterns. And the vocal part, the singing part, um, more or less, it's more fixed. Okay. Because yeah. it's song. <laughs> right, right, right. When did you come into contact with this? Was it, Have you kind of know, heard this and known about this all your life? 
Yeah. Uh, when I was young, in the TV, every week, there is a comedy show, which has some pansori moment. Okay. So that was my encounter to pansori. And every summer, um, Korean kids were encouraged to go to Korean traditional music concerts. And pansori is definitely one of them because it's kind of distinctive of Korean when it when I encounter questions like so, what's Korean music like? So maybe it's because I know it a little too in detail, so it's hard for me to just uh, identify this right. Try to as Korean it, yeah. sound, yeah. But at the same time, it might be because Korea in Korea a lot of traditional elements or traditional culture has gone, has disappeared pretty quickly mm -hmm. because yeah. of either um, cultural, they worshipped some other cultures when the Japanese colonial, um, colonial era, well, we were significantly influenced by Japanese culture, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And then after that, Korean War happened and a lot of Western countries, including the U.S., helped South Korea a lot. So we were almostly, almost without any doubt embracing the American culture as the virtue. Right, yeah. With almost abandoning our own culture back then. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. It was not up to like demonizing because it's just it was not going to but selectively they demonized or they abandoned some type of culture and uh with that process i think we missed a lot of things mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why it's hard to say uh well, I didn't come up with this is what Korean sound is like. Right, yeah. And so Pansori is tr precious in that way because it's uh, uniquely Korean. So how are you drawing from the Pansori tradition in this piece, Lotus Voice? When I was commissioned to write this piece, my idea, my initial idea was to write a lecture concert on music theory because I was a TA in music theory and mm -hmm. I love incorporating my own life in my music. But in the very year, Stephen Stuckey um, has got his opera premiered and the opera was about music theory. So... <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, no, it was very successful. It was very right, hilarious. Yeah. So... There was no way I can do the same similar thing. Yeah. And I had been always interested in pansori, and I didn't know what to do. And then I combined these two ideas. Why don't I do some lecture on pansori because I'm interested in it? And I thought that would make sense because not many people still in America would know what pansori is. Mm -mm. So before just a writing an opera in pansori style or whatever, people should hear what pansori is first 
just my own rationalization. So right. yeah, that's how I came up with this idea. So the vocalist in this, and this piece is structured into several, I think you called them, they're structured into excerpts and then Mm -hmm. lectures. Yes. And um, so the vocalist is kind of simultaneously performing excerpts uh, from some of, you know, some of the traditional Pensori texts, but they're also in the piece teaching the audience about what Pensori is during the performance. I mean, that's kind of, that's just a kind of meta way to approach this. It's like the piece is teaching you about the piece, which is teaching you about the piece. You know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> like you have a bunch of mirrors that are uh, looking at each other and it just kind of goes on forever. But I mean, I, you know, I, I, it, it's almost like you're breaking the fourth wall in performance by like speaking directly to the audience you know i I was i was curious like where that if that was just uh if that just came organically from the idea that you wanted to do kind of a uh a a lecture like a lecture concert or lecture recital or if if there was something else that kind of inspired you to kind of build that into the piece where the singer is like I imagine can like speak directly to to the audience. Well, that's basically what Pensori is. Singer, again, it's outdoorsy, and then singer is mm-hmm. basically surrounded by a lot of audience people. Right. Okay. So singer has to interact with the audience, and the audience are actually encouraged to respond. To singer, oh, okay. like in jazz, you know, after the solo, everyone claps. Mm-hmm. Similarly, but in an even more active way, um, people, the audience, have to or are encouraged to react to the singer. So mm-hmm. interaction is a big part of pensory. Okay, what what was the rehearsal process like with the singer? I mean, for something like this, so much of this performance is not on the page, you know? So, for, I mean, first of all, did, was your singer even, uh, I mean, I it seemed like you chose someone who kind of knew what they were doing, first of all, you know? Yeah. So... So so how how did that process go with and who was the, who was the singer that we're going to hear on the recording cuz they're fantastic. Yeah, he's an amazing singer and he was I was very lucky to know him, had known him before even writing this piece because when you know for whom you write sometimes you could be relaxed and then you know not worrying about any limits if the especially if the performer is great like yeah. <laughs> his name is Connor Lytle and he's a fantastic baritone who lives in New York City now and he himself was interested in different types of Asian culture so mm-hmm. it was a good link between uh, him and me so yeah, I asked him, hey, are you interested in this type of thing? And then he said, of course. And <clears throat> the challenge is because this tradition requires the singer to get their voice heard. So you will need to find a way to emulate it without hurting your voice. Right, yeah. 
because I'm not a singer, I didn't know how to explain it. So it was basically that vocal quality was just on him. Mm-hmm. So I really lucked up. Uh, I was really lucky to have him who has a fascination in a challenging style and who actually was able to nail it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the only thing I actually did, well, two things. One is I recorded all the syllables, mm-hmm. like a syllable by a syllable, so that he can learn um, them more precisely. And I gave him all the rhythm and rough contour. So when we had rehearsal, we carved a little bit so that I can, um, he can do, he can imi- imitate the style more closely, basically. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, getting getting to work with people like that that are so dedicated and so, and so talented and just, you know, so, I mean, he, de- dedication is a word, but he completely commits to to the piece so that's yeah you 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 said you lucked out i agree yeah no, yeah he's, he's, i did yeah that's yeah. fantastic so who is the who is the ensemble that's performing along with him uh it was indiana, indiana university new music ensemble conducted by david zube okay so we're gonna hear it now and this is lotus voice oh who is calling me father oh Am I your father? What is this? I had a daughter, my only child, and she died, died three years ago. Who is calling me father? What is this? Are you Shimchong? What is this? What did you say? Am I dreaming? She's dead. My Shim. Chong is dead. If, if you're truly Shim Chong, let me look at you. Oh God, I need to see. I need to see my daughter. And he closes his eyes and opens and closes and opens and closes opens closes opens closes opens closes opens closes opens closes opens closes and opens closes opens closes opens closes opens then suddenly he becomes able to from the closing scenes of Shim Chonga, one of the five pansoris that survive. Here, Shim Chong's blind father, 
opens his eyes. Pansori is a Korean traditional epic from the 17th century, performed by one vocalist and a percussionist. The vocalist needs to speak, act, and sing. Let's move to Chinhanga, another surviving pansori. It is a love story between Mongyang, a mayor's son, and Chinhyang, a courtesan's daughter. How about hearing an excerpt now? It's called Zaranga, meaning a love song. Ye Chinhanga, Uri Jungdo Hayobogo, Upko the Moraboja. Erio Narane Saranga Erio Narane Saranga Sarang 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 Amma Chinhang and Mongyang fall in love and marry. But Mongyang soon leaves for far away to take an exam to be a governor. He promises he'll come back shortly. While Mongyang is out, the new mayor, attracted by Chinhyang, forces her to serve him. As she takes refusing, she is beaten and imprisoned. Young comes back in town, but he failed the test, and his family went bankrupt. He is devastated. In the next scene, Chin Hyung's mother, her maid, and her beggar lover go to visit her late at night. Ma'am, 
It's almost four o'clock in the morning. The alarm bell rings. Okay, let's go. Let's go. It is late to eat a to go. expression and somewhat scratchy voice are believed to be among the most articulate qualities to pansori singers. So they not only practice hard, but often intentionally hurt their voices. Back to the love story. Mongyang, in fact, did not fail the exam, but won the first place! He became a royal inspector, acting in secret to examine the new mayor. The following day, during a party, Mongyang reveals himself to catch and punish the evil governor. And the scene goes like this. Mongyang moves forward to the front and tap his hand. Finally, agents and scribes from the visitors come out. With the royal inspector, bring out swarming like bees. Carrying the heavy cudgel and the moon like that, high like the golden sun and sun like that, high like the blue moon. They come out like boars of hen like what a ham of sun. See the
governor is arrested, and Chin Hyang gets honored. And of course, she and Mong Yang live together happily ever after. And that's the end of the story. Any questions? Thank you very much for listening. So, uh, we've come to the last question, the question that I ask all the uh, composers and artists and musicians who are on the podcast, and that is, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? So, first of all, I mentioned that I studied chemistry first. Right, yeah. But before it, I began studying music when I was young. It was very common to South Korean kid so i began taking piano lessons at four and violin lessons at seven and i was naive enough to believe that i am talented from my teachers (laughs) 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 and i i liked it and i was serious until grade six my sixth grade and but it's it's very very expensive to raise a child to be a musician in South Korea. I'm not sure about other countries, but in South Korea it was. And my family kind of could not afford and was questioning if it's the best use of our family resource. Right, yeah. And that I found my another talent first in chemistry. So at this point in the podcast, Texu's recording started to garble, so I've decided to cut it out. But he went on to say that he was very, very successful in chemistry, and then at a certain point just decided to kind of go back to music and kind of give it another shot um, a little bit older in life. Uh, Please, uh, if you are interested in the full story, please reach out to him. Uh, You can find more information at his website, which is texukim.com. You can also find him on Facebook and Instagram. It was a pleasure having him on, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.